Welcome to Season 7 of American Political History, The Dominion of New England, Colonial Rivalries. Besides the competition over maritime trade, there is a fierce competition over the Indian trade. New York merchants feared that their transatlantic business of shipping furs could easily be rerouted to Boston, New Jersey, Delaware, or Philadelphia. Though Albany still held tight to its monopoly over the interior trade, this was simply a monopoly based on Albany's location and that it was the first established fort. Nothing was stopping other colonies from setting up their own forts further in the interior. Pennsylvania was already in the process of establishing their own connections and trade routes. They had begun negotiations with the Iroquois to purchase the upper Susquehanna Valley. In New York, its new governor's first action was to make a counteroffer to the Iroquois, presenting their sachems with expensive gifts in acknowledgement of their continued friendship. By 1684, the Iroquois had changed their minds, selling the upper Susquehanna lands to New York. And off the heels of the successful negotiation, Governor Dongan continued to negotiate with the Iroquois for a more permanent alliance involving military defense and a monopolization over the interior trade between the two parties. The Iroquois would agree to many of the terms of friendship with New York, including agreeing that Albany courts would handle all trade disputes within the region. The Iroquois were already at war with the native allies of the French. Their motivation in these negotiations was to get generous war supplies from New York, and to slowly maneuver the English colonies into war with their enemies. The Iroquois were concerned with being geographically surrounded. They faced too many enemies allied to the French. To the north and northeast, they faced the French settlements in Quebec, fortified with the Algonquian allies. To the west, they faced the Illinois nation, which was being supported by the French. The Iroquois considered both the Algonquian and the Illinois nations to be their vassals. And the only reason they could fend them off was that the French were supporting them with arms on the battlefield. Once these negotiations with New York had concluded and the Iroquois had reason to believe that they would have a steady supply of English weaponry, they went to war and invaded French Canada in 1687. Ironically for New York, once the treaties with the Iroquois had been settled and signed, the Iroquois going to war meant it lowered the economic production of the Iroquois nations, and therefore lowered trade to New York, and so New York continued to struggle economically long through the 1690s. The New York colony had been in an economic downturn for decades. This had stoked the fires of political troubles. Unlike the other American colonies founded around an English form of cultural traditions, New York, from the very beginning, had been populated by a diverse assortment of European immigrants, now ruled by English bureaucrats. There were no strong ties between the average New York colonists and anyone in a position of authority in the government. Albany had declared its own pseudo-independence from New York, assisting its own courts had the authority over the region around the fort. The residents of Long Island openly resented New York and their association with it, asking many times to become part of Massachusetts. The only thing that unified the settlers in the New York colony was a generalized distrust of the New York government and its concentration of power in New York City. The New York governor, ruled without an assembly of freemen like all the other colonies in America. The Duke of York had always considered assemblies more troublesome than they were worth. But without an assembly in the midst of this political crisis, there was no outlet for the population. Without this function of the assembly, 
all political frustrations were directed directly at the authority of the governor himself. And so Governor Dongin decided to form New York's first assembly. The assembly drafted a Charter of Liberties, which enshrined the liberty of conscience for all Christians within the New York colony, and the right of towns to maintain public churches. Key to drafting this Charter of Liberties was Matthias Nichols, relative of the Governor Nichols that we have spoken about, who was the first governor of the New York colony. Matthias Nichols was educated and knowledgeable of English law, and he demanded that New York inhabitants have all the legal rights and protections that Englishmen enjoyed in England. But the efforts of this Charter of Liberties was ultimately futile. And here is another example of the difficulties of governing across the Atlantic Ocean. In October of 1648, the Duke of York had actually approved the Charter of Liberties for New York. But New York was never told. And when the Duke of York ascended to the throne of England, his colony of New York by default became a royal colony. The now King James II was no longer interested in this Charter of Liberties. He was instead focused on making New York his new model for what he envisioned for English colonies that would be directly ruled from Whitehall. The Charter of Liberties was now subjected to the most stringent of reviews by Whitehall. They saw that this charter proposed liberties that were beyond those which Englishmen enjoyed themselves. They rewrote all of the proposed liberties so that those liberties were dependent upon the king's will and subject to being revoked at any time by the whim of the king. This subtle but massive change is one of the ideological differences that would eventually be represented in the American Constitution. Instead of a document where kings gifted rights and liberties to the people, which was the royalist attitude, in the American Revolution, a new paradigm would be proposed that rights were inherently granted by God, and therefore, when one wished to revoke a right of the people, they were not taking back a gift, they were violating the people's God-given rights. But back to the moment we are in history with King James II. He would send a magistrate to New York with orders to end any outstanding territorial claims. This included giving back territory to Jersey, which New York had previously seized. When the New York authorities voiced their objections to the new king, King James II made it very clear that if he did not have their full cooperation, their colonial governments would be stripped of all power and authority which had been given to them by the crown. He then turned his attention to Bermuda, where they reworked the charter in 1648. After that, he would address the larger issues in the American colonies. The Massachusetts Bay Charter would find itself under review continually within the chambers of Whitehall. This was done as leverage as Whitehall reworked their charter. If they did not fully cooperate, all of the rights they thought they had, would be removed, and that was made perfectly clear to them. Whitehall was reworking these colonial charters to form what would become known as the Dominion of New England, a single royal colony which would serve as the example for what King James II envisioned for the future of English colonies. The colonies within the Dominion would find their assemblies suspended. King James II still viewed assemblies as far more trouble than they were worth. Whitehall then appointed regional governor and captain general of the Dominion of New England, Sir Edward Andros, who would be returning to America with a promotion. When Governor General Andros came to New England, he combined Plymouth with the Massachusetts colony. He reinstated New Hampshire's separation from Massachusetts authorities. 
He then addressed Connecticut, the lone holdout to the formation of the Dominion. Connecticut's charter was not up for any kind of review, but Connecticut quickly decided it was in their best interest to freely join the Dominion of New England. This had nothing to do with the implied or direct threats that the Governor General had brought to their tables. Although Governor General Andros was quickly able to establish and consolidate the Dominion of New England, his authoritarian political power did not alleviate him from the local and internal politics of the region. Within months, local leaders were now jostling for political position in Andros's court, trying to control and manipulate who Andros saw and appointed. Boston and New York were insisting that Governor General Andros appoint their men to important posts in this new dominion. Excess County and Ipswich were resisting the Dominion's power to tax them, forcing time and resources to be spent putting them in line. Anytime Governor General Andros would hold public hearings, he would face a tsunami of complaints about returning local areas to self-governance. In response to the many petition letters that he was sent, Governor General Andros decreed that town meeting halls could only meet once a year. This was with the logic that if you had less town meetings, somehow there would be less petitioners and grievances. But this authoritarian action simply created further resentment from the locals. And Governor General Andros would have to settle the many religious disputes within the Americas, like when the Anglicans decided to parade through the Puritan churches with the Book of Common Prayers just to piss them off. The Dominion of New England would also reform the land distribution policy for all the colonies it oversaw, including implementing rents for the first time in Massachusetts. Governor General Andros would also specifically target lands that were considered underdeveloped for additional rents to incentivize further settlement of the American colonies. This was to try to break up the original large tracts of land given to rich shareholders and the original settlements that had not been developed in any way. Thank you for listening to this episode of American Political History. If you want to support the show, please subscribe and leave a five-star rating, and share the show with someone you think would enjoy listening. Thank you again, and until next time.